Hello from the newsroom of the Financial Times in London. I'm John Murray Brown. The malaria parasite kills nearly half a million every year, most of them children under the age of five. Bed nets, insecticides and a new vaccine have all shown some potential to curb the disease. But what if it could be virtually wiped out? Some early research using gene editing suggests this might be a real possibility. Andrew Jack discusses the findings with Clive Cookson, our science editor, and leading researcher Austin Burt. So Clive, tell us a bit about the theory behind this new research. As a background, we need to remember that there are three very different sorts of organisms involved in transmitting malaria. There's us humans, there's the plasmodium parasite that causes the disease, and the mosquitoes that spread the disease. And all three have been targeted and are being targeted. And attacking the mosquitoes, which is what we're talking about today, has an ancient history of like draining marshes to stop them breeding, and more recently in the 20th century, poisoning them with nasty pesticides. The most recent approach is to use new gene editing technology, and Austin will be able to tell us more about it. And that makes very, very precise changes in the mosquito's DNA, far more precise than has been possible with the older genetic engineering recombinant DNA techniques. And there are various things you can do with that. One is to basically crash the populations because they can no longer breed, because they're no longer fertile or aren't females. We can talk about that later. Or you can perhaps alter them so that they can no longer transmit the parasite. And then there'd still be mosquitoes buzzing around and biting, but they'd be harmless. So Austin, you've been experimenting with CRISPR-based gene drive at Imperial College. Tell us exactly how the approach works. Sure. So as Clive mentioned, there's a couple of different approaches, and we're particularly focused on ones where we're trying to suppress or reduce the numbers of the particular species of mosquitoes that transmit malaria. And we do that by targeting a gene that's necessary for the females to develop properly and be able to reproduce. So we knock out that gene using a CRISPR-based system, and it's a gene drive system, which means that that knockout that disruption is able to spread in a disproportionate way to the progeny. And so despite it causing a certain amount of sterility in the females, that is still able to spread through a population. If you introduce it at rare, it will over successive generations become quite common and gradually sterilize a larger and larger fraction of the female population. So to be clear, you're actually taking the newborn mosquito and doing some initial genetic manipulation in them and then encouraging them to breed and spread. That's right. So to genetically engineer a mosquito, you inject DNA into a freshly laid egg. And then if that works, then you just sort of propagate from there. And so you're not having to do that all the time. But instead, you are able to propagate that genetic change over successive generations in the lab, and then it would propagate in the field if we get to the point of releases. So what have the findings been like so far with using this technique? Well, the most recent results from lab work we've published are that we've been able to crash small cage populations of mosquitoes, about 600 mosquitoes, introducing this construct at 25% in the population, and then over either 8 or 11 generations that gene spread through the population. Eventually, all the females were sterile, and then there was no progeny in the next generation. 
and 11 generations so that implies how much time in fact and how practical yeah. to get that so transfer in a wild with a, it's about a month or so per generation between three weeks and a month so less than a year and as the result of that you get essentially sterile mosquitoes then that can't then reproduce right and so the population of those mosquitoes goes down and so malaria transmission goes down because that's a direct function of the numbers of mosquitoes and are there other sorts of gene editing experiments taking place at the moment? There's other work also happening at Imperial College that is trying to engineer the mosquitoes to be less able to transmit the parasite, to interfere with the development of the parasite within the mosquito. Also, I should mention that the large part of the work we're doing is in the lab of Andrea Crisanti at Imperial College. And so other work in his lab is to try to skew the sex ratio such that it's mostly male mosquitoes, because it's only the females that bite and transmit the disease. So if you can skew the population to be mostly males, then that will reduce transmission. So any thoughts about the relative merits of the different approaches? Well, at this point, they're all worth following up, because they all show great potential. So we have done computer modelling of all of them, and if we can get them to work properly, they can all be very effective. And so work is proceeding on all three of them. Probably the most recent success is the one I mentioned first, which is the work on sterilising the females. So, Clive, I mean, this is great laboratory experimental research. How long do you think before we might see something like this go to scale? Well, I think an important stage in that journey is something that Austin mentioned, and that is very good, reliable computer modelling of what this would actually mean out in the field. And... Austin's been working with people at Oxford University on a grand computer modelling to show what would happen in Burkina Faso over, I think it's a million square kilometres of sub-Saharan Africa. And that shows that it would locally wipe out some populations, but it wouldn't completely make the species Anopheles gambii, which is the one that causes the trouble in Africa. It wouldn't completely make it extinct. So that will be necessary. There'll have to be international regulations because you can't restrict this to one country. You can probably restrict it to one continent, Africa, because the Anopheles gambii mosquitoes, which cause the trouble in Africa, are different from the species that are active in Latin America or in Asia. And this sort of CRISPR gene editing is very species-specific, but a hell of a lot of regulatory work will be needed on an international scale. So how long? I mean, Austin may have views, but it couldn't really be less than 10 years, I'd have thought. What do you think, Austin? Well, nobody's done this before, so there's not a well-worked pathway to be able to estimate how long it's going to take. We hope to be in a position where five years from now we would be able to put in an application to release one of these gene drive constructs in Africa. That's optimistic. It's not going to be less than that. That's sort of the target we're aiming for. How long it then would take to go through the regulatory process, that really is uncharted territory. And one of the issues that's often raised, isn't there, about this sort of approach by some environmentalists of the potential unintended consequences, destruction of a species perhaps that can be a source of food for other animals in the food chain, for example, or maybe some other sort of mutation that could end up worse than the current situation. What's your thoughts on that? Well, it's very important to take these potential issues into consideration and look at them closely. On the issue of ecological effects, what we know at the moment suggests that Anopheles gambiae is not a so-called keystone species. 
in the sense that reduction in its numbers would have large cascading effects or ramifying effects throughout the ecosystem. They're very good transmitters of malaria because they really like biting people, and they live around people, particularly in rural contexts across Africa. And so their niche, if you want, is the village. And so if you go away from people, you find other mosquitoes, but you don't find this particular species. So we don't think there's going to be cascading effects on the wider ecosystem. In some places in East Africa, bed nets have been very good in really reducing the numbers of Anopheles gambiae, and there haven't been reports of ecological consequences from that. It would still be nice to know more, and so we are doing some ecological work in Ghana to try and find out in more detail what eats Anopheles gambiae, and in particular to see if there's anything for which that's a large fraction of their diet, or to see if there's any plant for which it's a particularly important pollinator. There's no hint of that at the moment, but it will be good to get data to look at that specifically. You will face environmental activist opposition throughout this process, I suspect, at the last meeting of the United Nations Convention on Biodiversity last November in Sharm el-Sheikh. There were calls for a complete moratorium on this work from some of those groups. The decision was not to have a moratorium, but that this work should take place with very stringent national and international safety guidance, etc. Do you think you can win over some of those opponents, Austin? Undoubtedly, there are things we need to look at more, such as the ecological consequences. But I think that people who are open to the evidence will be able to be convinced by that, as we have it. I think that there will be some who are ideologically opposed to any sort of genetic modification, and for which data is not an issue. And that will always be the case. I think what is important is that, to the extent possible, the decisions here are made by those who are most likely to be affected, positively or negatively, by the technology, and so that the decisions really ought to be made in Africa. And that was actually something that was voiced quite explicitly at that CBD meeting in November, that really we should not be having a blanket moratorium, but it should be up to countries to decide on a case-by-case basis how best to proceed. But certainly a really important contribution with your work to tackling a disease that remains one of the most heavy disease killers in the world. Austin Burt and Clive Cookson, thank you very much. That was Andrew Jack talking to Clive Cookson, our science editor, and Austin Burt, Professor of Evolutionary Genetics at London's Imperial College. Thanks for listening. Remember, if you're not already a subscriber and would like to discover more FT content, you can find our latest subscription offers at ft.com forward slash offer. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.